Good morning, afternoon, and or evening, depending on when you are listening to this. I am Steve. And I'm Pat. We're here to bring you in-depth analysis and discussion around everything to do with real estate and home loans. So grab yourself a cup of something that makes you happy, or keep your hands on the wheels and enjoy. We are sitting in an office surrounded by wood paneling at Living Room Realty. I am a real estate agent here in Portland, Oregon. I am based out of the Northwest office, which is on Northwest Lovejoy between 20th and 21st. It's wonderful. It's right around the corner from Ranch Pizza, which I eat more often than I should. And when I feel like a healthy lunch, I go to Laughing Planet and get mushroom tacos. Those sound really good. I have never had a mushroom taco. Oh, they're good. But that is something that is probably in my future. My name is Pat Lindgren. I'm a local lender, and Steve was gracious enough to invite me down here to give podcasting a whirl. And uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this. I represent Do Good Mortgage, and we do loans in a number of different states, but mainly here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, kind of my old stomping grounds. We used to spend a lot of time down here, my wife and I, right around this area. Um, so it's good to be good to be back, surrounded by wood paneling, which I do. I do actually like, oddly enough. It's not bad. Um, one of the reasons Pat and I are starting this podcast is I met Pat during uh, the beginning of coronavirus. I was looking at refinancing my house, and his partner Clint Elliott was up to his neck in everybody and. They're everyone they knew trying to refinance their house and Clint and I get along really well and he said I know you won't be upset I just don't have time for this and he referred me to Pat Pat has been one of the most unbelievable sources of honesty transparency wisdom knowledge all the good stuff I found the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and I just get to share it with everyone it with the amount of stuff that Pat brings to the table and Pat and I have been working together for about 18 months now, something like that. Yeah, that's about right. Um, He's helped a lot of my clients with refinances. Everyone's been happy. I've gone through about eight or nine home purchases with him, and those have all been incredibly smooth. And one of the things that always ends up happening is I call Pat with a question. And 45 minutes later, we've gone on 37 tangents and talked about everything from being dads to life in general Um, but really we end up having these incredibly transparent conversations about what life is like behind the curtain of both real estate and the lending industry and I remember once I thought to myself people need to be listening to these conversations but I don't know if you want to add anything to that no I mean that the conversations have been amazing the last 18 months have been wonderful uh minus coronavirus right so yeah, that's, that's a, kind that's of thing. that's kind of a, the downfall of our relationship was forged through a global pandemic but it it has been awesome i can't say enough good things about steve we've been able to work together communicate um he's taught me a lot about the process of real estate which when you when you work together and you find really open lines of communication, you learn about each other's business. And I think the hope is to share some of that with everybody and 
also probably go down some rabbit holes, you know? I mean, I, I think about some of the conversations we've had and sometimes I feel like I get off the phone and I tell my wife, I think I've, I've you know, solved half the world's problems. <laughs> and, you know, you wake up the next day, it's not reality per se, but that's, uh, that's, that's why we're doing this and looking forward to the, the opportunity, so. I will say this is our first podcast and I wish I had, I'll, I'll take a picture when we're done and share it. Um, I used to do video production and know how to do all this stuff, but it's been, you know, seven or eight years since I've really pulled out all the equipment. Currently, we have two pod mics from Rody, and those are both sitting on our sweatshirts because we forgot to order mic stands. So there's that, the, you know, there's a vent going on in the background. Every once in a while, you guys are going to have the luxury of hearing the streetcar go by. Um, this is podcast number one. We've been talking about getting together for a long time and have 10,000 excuses of why not to do it, but we just decided to get into a room surrounded by cardboard boxes, sweatshirts, backpacks, phones. Wood paneling. Wood paneling. <laughs> and, the, and the smell of mushroom tacos and wafting through the air. Exactly. So what do you want to talk about first? Um, do you have anything burning through your brain? Um, nothing tremendous, you know, we were actually just having a conversation about 2022 and this is a good time of the year actually for goal planning, goal setting, you know, you know, we're getting into the fourth quarter and everybody's kind of, uh, you know, reevaluating things. There's not too many updates per se. I would say the, the biggest one that's kind of floating around there as far as mortgage is considered. Um, is the fact that they're looking at changing the the minimum or excuse me maximum loan amount for jumbo loans or conforming loans to possibly go into six twenty five, which is a it's pretty big news for Portland actually. What is it at right now? Five hundred forty thousand two hundred fifty dollars. As soon as you cross over that, it, it becomes a jumbo loan, non conforming loan. Uh, potentially a non-QM loan, um, but basically that that loan limit takes you out of the the realm of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. So, so I'm going to speak as somebody. I mean, I know what you're talking about, mm -hmm. but I'm going to pretend like I don't. What is a QM loan? A non-QM loan is a non-qualified mortgage, um, and those are they're just different products. And to kind of separate the two, I guess you know a jumbo loan is is also different than a non-QM loan. But the guidelines change with those. And down payment requirements change, and um, the flexibility that you have in the conforming space is is a little bit greater. It's a little bit more comfortable down the fairway, not as nuancey. It's something that people are a little bit more familiar with. And the fact of the matter is, is Portland specifically with all the increases in values, right? Like to be able to extend credit in the conforming space, you know, to the tune of almost an additional $75,000, I think is going to be a, a win. But that's, I think that's probably the only thing that's, eh, you know, and the, another cool thing that came out in lending, because I, I guess I'm kind of a lending dork, I guess that's what I do for a living, is they've, they've done some things that have changed the back end is allowing average credit scores. It's built into the system. So it, it's, it's not, you know, your mid score is still your mid score and the lowest of the mid score is the one that we use for everything. But the, the dynamics of the automated underwriting engine is now taking into consideration more of an average than just a hard score. So that could be helpful for people. So when you're talking about credit scores and stuff for anyone that might not know, what is the best credit score you can have? 
Oh, I mean, some say 850 is like the highest um, credit score, but for lending purposes, pretty much everything that's a 740 or better is going to qualify you for the best interest rates, best financing options, I would say. So a 7740 is the number that you would throw out. There's a handful of places in the jumbo space or non-QM space that might go to a 760, but again, that's because they make their own rules there. But for all intents and purposes, targeting a 740. So I know the powers that be that are making all these rules have to draw a line in the sand somewhere. What happens if I'm trying to apply for a loan and my credit score is 720 versus 750? I'm below that 720 threshold. 740 threshold, but yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. yeah. Seven, I'm below the 740 threshold. So how does that affect me as a home buyer? Um, it, it's not going to have a lot of impact other than it will have what we call loan level pricing adjusters. So potentially you would pay a little bit more for your interest rate um, than somebody that would have, say, a 740 plus credit score. But as far as guidelines, um, the difference between a 740 and a 720 is not great enough other than just really what you're going to be held to with your your cost for interest rate. What's the minimum credit score you have to have to to qualify for any loan? Well, it's it's different it's different per loan and that's where we get into we get into the weeds with products. So a conforming loan? Let's just talk about conforming loans. 620 okay. is going to be the 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 lowest that you're going to get an automated underwriting approval and that's kind of where it's set um even 620 to 640 gets a little bumpy um so 640 or better is kind of what we look for but a 620 is going to be your 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 minimum um for a conforming loan and certain loans government-backed loans fha va the you know there's there's not a minimum credit score but kind of rule of thumb out there some places will go below 580 um some places won't. So there's usually what we call overlays. So the guideline is on those government loans that you don't necessarily have to have a specific credit score to qualify. But the unwritten rule is to get an approval on that, you're probably going to be in that same range. What's the difference between an approval, a pre-approval, qualification, and a pre-qualification? Honestly, semantics. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's... Uh, everybody's got a different vernacular for it, right? But if you're looking at it from a true, like, as I view it as a lender, so we'll talk about my opinion in this case. Yes, please. Uh, a pre-qualification is what I would consider having a conversation with somebody um, saying, hey, these are abouts. Like, this is about what my credit score is. This is about how much money I make. This is about how much money I have to put down. Like, all of those things kind of cobbled together sounds like, yeah, you might be able to buy a home in this range, in this range. Um, so let's just say you're having a conversation with Kermit the Frog. Okay, Kermit, go Kermit. Uh, hey, Pat, it's me. I'm, uh, I got your number from Steve Bryan. He told me I, I, I should talk to you. I'm interested in buying a house. And um, what do I do? Like, well, what do you need to know? Uh, well, Kermit. To get pre-qualified. Uh, appreciate the phone call and opportunity to serve. Uh, it's always nice to meet a friend of Steve Bryan. Um, there, there's quite a lot. So what we initially do is kind of have, I guess, for lack of a better term, a hopes and dreams call to say like, hey, what are you looking to accomplish? But when we get down to brass tacks, I need an application. I need you to complete an application. It's going to take about 15 or 20 minutes. We're going to collect a handful of 
not too invasive documentation, but it's going to be a lot of your financials, right? So we're going to get your income, how you get paid, uh, we're going to get your assets, we're going to pull your credit. And that's where we move into the land of a, like a pre-qualification, pre-approval, actually. And we would run it through an automated decision engine. Um, and that's done pretty quickly for the most part. And it's just how, how quick a client wants to move forward with that process for us to be able to go back to Steve and say, hey, Steve, here's where we're at. This is what they can buy. This is what they qualify for. This is the ranges. This is what they're looking at for a payment. Um, so let's try to keep them here. How much money are they putting down? Because that can trigger mortgage insurance. So there's a there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, excuse me, Pat. Yeah. Well, what, what is mortgage insurance? <laughs> so, and I'm, I'm glad you asked. So typically on a conforming loan and uh, actually FHA loans as well, um, Mortgage insurance insures the, you know, the lender or servicer of the loan in case of default. And it goes towards nothing for the client. It's just for the servicer lender, right? Um, and typically that happens on a conforming loan when you put less than 20% down. Um, and on certain FHA loans, I mean, it's going to be on there for the life of the loan. So um, very important that you talk to your lender about which product is best for you and the reasons why. Um, and if it can be avoided, great. And if it can't, that's okay too, because it can eventually drop off on conforming loans. And that's something that, you know, you kinda, I think you should get into the weeds with your lender on because there's certain reasons to not put down 20%. A, you might not have it, but B, mortgage insurance, depending on your credit score and how much you're putting down, could be a pretty minimal figure, honestly. One of the things I talk with my clients about a lot, because I have sort of, I'm not a lender. I, I'm admitting I am not a lender. Um, but I've learned a lot from you, just having the conversations we've had. So I'm able to have a lot of conversations with my clients before they even come to you. And one of the conversations we have is, you know, there's a difference between putting 5%, 10%, and 20% down. And sort of, there's not much benefit of putting down between five and 10%. There's also not much of a benefit of putting down between 10 and 20%. Is that true? Uh, five and 10%, nope. Uh, 10 and 15%, nope. 15 is kind of, so they're 5% markers with loan level pricing adjusters. So that can, that can change some things. Um, but those in-between numbers are more just going to manipulate for payment per se, and then the loan amount, because everything's kind of based on loan amounts in our world. Um, yeah, I would, if somebody's gonna put down five, the only reason why I would really tell them to probably put down seven is if they were trying to target a very specific monthly payment. Yeah. But there's not gonna be a real advantage, again, in my opinion, and really from a numbers opinion, that, that they would be inclined to do that other than adjusting the monthly payment. So a lot of, I've heard, you know, I've been doing this for about eight years now, and one of the biggest reasons I've heard from people not to buy a house is that they don't have 20% down. Do you have to have 20% down to buy a no. house? No, hard no. And I would say don't let that discourage anybody from having a conversation. It's a common misnomer, actually. You know, our parents 
that kind who of who paid sixty thousand dollars for their house, right? Uh, you know, and and that's where you learn a lot of your financial literacy. Honestly, is from your parents. He's not really taught in schools. You know, you don't really learn that stuff. Um, so understanding that, and then understanding that they may not know of some of the changes. Plus, I had the pleasure of going through the financial crash, I guess, if yeah. you'd like to say. Yeah. Um, so I got into mortgage in 2006 as I date my career a little bit. But what was that like in 2006 and seven before the crash? Were you just like riding around on yachts and throwing money into the sea to watch sharks? My, my, my first year, I didn't. That's some, probably some pretty good stories there. But I, I got into it really young. Wait, and wait, wait. wait. You don't get to say some and, pretty good stories. And, and probably for like <laughs> podcast seven or eight. But okay, we'll like my first that. my first year was um, I didn't really make much money um, my first year in it because I was just learning. I think that goes for anybody in real estate. You can probably comment to that. Your first year was probably not a banner year. Uh, I made like $17 million in my first two months in real estate. <laughs> I think I made like 17000 my first year of mortgage <laughs> and probably felt like that. Um, the guidelines were a lot different. It was different to get loans done, um, but I was learning and I probably... It was a good education, I guess would be the best way to say it. And then I got better and better and better, and then the financial crash happened, right? And going back towards the 20% down, we went through an extended period of time where credit was so hard to qualify for. So it was like if you didn't have 20% down, it felt like pulling teeth to buy a house, right? Is this after the crash? No, this is in the middle of the crash. Okay. So I think a lot of, uh, a, a lot of millennial buyers, right? Because millennials are taking up a huge part of this market right now. Um, but they had the pleasure of experiencing the financial crash as humans, right? Right in the middle of college, getting out of high school, all of those things. And I think kind of to go back to the 20% down, when they started looking at homes, there was probably, if it was in that time range, there was probably a lot of people that were like, listen, we're not lending money without 20% down. That coupled with advice from a few decades ago with parents and things like that would put people at a distinct disadvantage from understanding how the, the credit, credit markets work and lending works. And I hope that's what we're I know that's what we're going to help clear up with this. So I'm super excited about it. But no, I mean, you can put as a first time home buyer, there's programs with 3% down, there's programs with 3.5% down. Um, <clears throat> you can have some damaged credit. There's different rules with student loans um, because that's another one that I get a lot of times, right? Like you say, clients come to me and say, I don't have 20% to put down. If you're like, hey, that's okay, right? And I've had clients come to me and say, you know, I have a ton of student debt. And it's like, well, they're looked at a little bit differently now than maybe they used to be. So the important thing is just talking to somebody about it, right? To understand what you can and, and, and can't do. And almost always, I mean, between you and I, I mean, all the clients that we've worked with, I don't think we've had to really tell too many people no. You know, most people we've been able to qualify, I think. What you, uh, there have been a couple that you've had to say no to, but it wasn't that you said no. It was, here are some things you can do to improve your credit score. Um, you do need at least 3% down. There are, there are, I don't want to name names because it's not No, important, right, but, and, but there's also like you can get gifts, right? And we look at that and sometimes that doesn't work, but it feels like there's a lot of solutions out there. All right, well that wraps up this episode. Thank you so, so much for sticking with us all the way to the end. I do want to take a second to send out a huge thank you to Debs Baird for her skills behind the editing board and to Ezel, AKA Ethan Zirin Brown for his musical wizardry. Please do take a minute to rate and review and let us know if there's anything you'd like us to cover in future episodes. It really does help. 
want to say anything, Pat? No. Perfect. Thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next episode. And when I say see you, I mean you'll hear us, because we can't see you. <laughs>